Bridge Bank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to the risk takers, the game changers, and the disruptors. Bridge Bank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. Bridge Bank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. This is the California Report. Good morning. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. After a month and a half long preliminary hearing, Paul and Ruben Flores will stand trial for crimes related to the disappearance and murder of Cal Poly San Luis Obispo student Kristen Smart, who went missing in 1996. Smart was never found and was declared legally dead in 2002. With more on what happened in the courtroom, here's KCBX's Rachel Showalter. A San Luis Obispo County judge determined the defense presented enough evidence at the hearing for the defendants to be tried. Former Cal Poly student Paul Flores is charged with killing Smart while attempting to or committing rape. Paul's father, Ruben Flores, is charged with accessory after the fact, the prosecution alleging he helped conceal Smart's body after the murder was committed. San Luis Obispo County District Attorney Dan Dow said in a tweet, We continue to support the family of Kristen Smart as we work toward justice. The two men will be arraigned on October 20th in San Luis Obispo County Superior Court. For the California Report, I'm Rachel Showalter in San Luis Obispo. Bay Area Congressman Mike Thompson was part of a small group of Democrats who met with President Joe Biden Wednesday afternoon to discuss disagreements over two very pricey pieces of legislation. As KQED politics editor Scott Schaefer reports, the bills involve major Democratic priorities. At stake are a trillion-dollar bipartisan infrastructure bill and a $3.5 trillion package of economic programs. Beltway media have portrayed progressives as taking a hard line, threatening to block it all if they don't get what they want. Thompson sees it differently. I'm a glass-half-full guy. No one was confrontational in this meeting. I think everybody wants to get to yes, and we're just trying to figure out how to make that happen. Passage of both bills is critical to Biden's agenda, with some saying Democratic control of the House and Senate is at stake. Also hanging over their heads, the need to raise the debt ceiling, which Republicans say is the Democrats' problem, even though it's always been done on a bipartisan basis in the past. For the California Report, I'm Scott Schaefer. Governor Gavin Newsom has signed AB 701. It's a bill that requires warehouse operators to disclose more about the quotas and algorithms they use to squeeze more productivity out of workers, possibly creating more dangerous workplaces. With more, here's KQED's Rachel Myro. 
In his signing statement, the governor wrote, We cannot allow corporations to put profit over people. The bill by Assemblymember and union ally Lorena Gonzalez of San Diego is widely seen as targeting Amazon, an industry leader in using data and quotas to track work rates, sometimes to the extent that employees forego state-mandated rest periods and push themselves to the point of injury. AB 701 prohibits production quotas that drive workers to injury and establishes stronger enforcement mechanisms to protect workers from retaliation if they seek redress. For the California Report, I'm Rachel Myro. As for Amazon, a company that, according to some studies, has a worker injury rate nearly twice that of the rest of the warehouse industry, no comment yet. But the California Retailers Association says the legislation will lead to higher prices for a variety of consumer goods. The law takes effect on January 1st. And staying on legislation, Governor Newsom signed two other bills yesterday that aimed to counter Texas's recently enacted law restricting abortion rights. Newsom said a challenge to Roe v. Wade from Mississippi is a expected to come before the U.S. Supreme Court later this year, making the fight for reproductive rights critical right now. So it becomes of outsized importance that California assert itself, take nothing for granted. Good enough never is. We've got to continue to step up our efforts to do, dare I say, just the opposite of these states, states like Texas. One of the California bills signed by Newsom increases protection for health providers and patients and prohibits actions like taking pictures of people visiting healthcare centers and posting them online. Another updates patient privacy laws so that information on health services is shared only with a patient and not with family members or guardians. A coalition of groups supporting reproductive rights also launched Wednesday. It's called the California Future of Abortion Council. Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Hi there, I'm Randa Dirfattah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. The Caldor fire destroyed more than a thousand buildings and continues to burn. But communities around South Lake Tahoe mostly escaped the blaze's destruction, despite lying square in its path. As KQED's Danielle Venton tells us, that's thanks to the hard work and valor of firefighters, but also years of work preparing the forest. Standing on the side of the road winding down from Echo Summit, the effects of the fire are clear. Across the valley, very black. You can see some high severity fire, you know, where you literally just have sticks standing, you know, matchsticks. Amanda Montai is a former firefighter and spokesperson on the Caldor Fire. She points out it's not all matchsticks. We can see where the fire calmed down and stopped, right when it hit areas that foresters had prepared for fire. You know, you have black on one side, you have this, the valley is green. You have tons of houses that are visible. Um, So this thing, I mean, it really was cranking when it came into this area. And 
Um, it's clear from this viewpoint just how effective those treatments were. Underneath all that green forest are neighborhoods with thousands of cabins and homes. To get a closer look, I joined Phil Heidsky with the Forest Service down near the Myers Christmas Valley section of South Lake Tahoe, one of the areas where flames came closest to homes. We're looking at a dozer line, bare earth scraped with a bulldozer, that lies just up against a row of houses. It was the first line of defense laid when firefighters were expecting they'd have to make a desperate stand to save the homes. They were pushing this dozer line, and then they realized, oh wait, the fire behavior's dropping down as soon as it hit this unit, and they're able to go up there and go direct with it. That means it was safe to get close to the flames. That wouldn't have been possible if crews and equipment hadn't thinned small trees and brush here a few years ago. You can see sunlight through the trees, the canopy, um, very well open. That's the key thing with these fires is having that open canopy so it can't sustain a crown run. It all drops down to the ground. That's what happened here when the Caldor fire hit. We were getting about 100 to 150 foot flame links off of that. Once it hit this unit, it dropped down to about 20 foot flame links. That meant firefighters could corral the fire and steer it away from the community. How much credit do you give to this fuel treatment for saving say those homes? I give a lot of credit to it. Um, for the folks who've been working on these projects for the last two decades, uh, my hat's off to them. Tens of thousands of acres have been treated in the Lake Tahoe Basin in the last 15 years, more than is typical for forested mountain communities. The work is not cheap. Paying crews with chainsaws to thin overgrown forests can cost around $2,000 an acre. Comparing that against the value of homes saved, it looks like a good investment. But here, Lake Tahoe is fortunate, highly populated with a wealthy conservation community and lots of political pull. It's good at winning competitive grants to pay for this work. You know, there's a political pressure there. Just the amount of folks that do live around the Lake Tahoe Basin and for how famous the Lake Tahoe Basin is. Heidsky says the 2007 Angora fire in the basin was a big wake-up call. More than 240 homes burned in that fire, and it made the community realize they had to prepare. It was a game-changer for getting policies changed so we could do more fuels management. It was kind of the forefront to creating all of this, um, all these units getting treated. Bob Larson is a homeowner who lives nearby. On a recent morning, we went for a stroll. And he recalls how the Angora fire galvanized the community. It really highlighted the importance of doing something about the overstock forest and trying to make sure that homeowners are doing the work that they need to do to uh, provide that defensible space. Larson's home is just about a block away from where the Caldor fire stopped. He credits the areas of treated forest with saving his and his neighbors' homes. So the fact that we had this buffer between sort of the, the very hot fire and, and fire that was more manageable, I think, is, is a big part of, of why they were able to succeed and why we are so lucky. Larson and Heitzke know their community was lucky, but part of that luck was being well-prepared. They hope lessons from the Caldor fire can be used to protect mountain communities around the state. For the California Report, I'm Danielle Venton in South Lake Tahoe. And that is the California Report for Thursday, September 23rd. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening and have a great day. Support for the California Report comes from Blue Shield of California, rebuilding the future of health care with every Californian in mind, from quality and equitable care 
to not-for-profit values. Learn more at news.blueshieldca.com. Paint Care. Now with 800 drop-off sites in California where households and businesses can recycle their leftover paint. More at paintcare.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt whose philanthropy harnesses the power of people and science to create innovative solutions for a healthy environment, just societies, and opportunities for human achievement. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. Hi, I'm Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse, golden state. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts.